I think it's on now. Yeah, we're good. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's the middle of July, and in a typical year, many of us have plans to travel abroad. We'll visit family in other provinces or plan a road trip as part of our family vacation plans. We'll often see new, first, new faces in church at this time of year as others visit Manitoba. This year, COVID-19 restrictions in place have many of us, sorry, this year with COVID-19 restrictions, many of us have traveled closer to home. Campsites in Manitoba are filled to capacity and many of us have plans to go camping or complete day trips within Manitoba. Maybe at any or even all of these occasions, you've turned to Psalm 121. We've done that in our family at times. People like to call it the Traveler's Psalm. And that fits. It is, after all, one of the Psalms of Ascent. They were used by God's people as they ascended to Jerusalem, as they went up to the temple for worship or for the special festivals the Lord commanded them to keep. Three times a year, families certainly heads of families, would travel from all over Israel to the temple in Jerusalem and beyond. We learn that here. They're not just standalone psalms. There's a certain progress to them. Psalm 120, which we sang after the law, starts things off. The psalmist is in distress. He's troubled by all the lies and deceit around him. Lies and deceit that bring war rather than peace. Then he looks to go to Jerusalem, to the temple, to celebrate the festivals there that speak of peace. Speak of peace in the shed blood of another. Added to that, we learn he's sojourning in Meshach and dwelling among the tents of Kedar. Meshach is near the Black Sea, and Kedar is in the Arabian Desert, so far away from Jerusalem. If he wants to go there, he's got a long way to go. That's the starting point. In Psalm 122, these travelers are in Jerusalem. We sang that to start the service. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. There he finds this peace. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Then Psalm 121 between is fittingly called the traveler's psalm. Psalm 120 is the origin, Psalm 122 the destination, and Psalm 121 the way from A to B. We are not off to Jerusalem to worship in the temple, but God's children are, by his grace, on their way to a new Jerusalem, to a heavenly temple not made with hands. This psalm is about the journey there. We are sojourners, travelers on the way to the heavenly city, pilgrims on pilgrimage, not to an earthly temple, but to live with God in heaven. An animated version of John Bunyan's famous Pilgrim's Progress was recently produced. It's based on the book, A Christian Allegory. Pilgrim's Progress is one of the most significant English religious writings, translated in 200 languages and never been out of print. How's that for a track record? Maybe some of, some of you have watched the recent movie. It's about Christian's journey to the celestial city and the trials and temptations he meets along the way. 
of despair and hopelessness and worldliness and legalism and fear and all to even the moment of death. It's a story that finds its message in Psalm 121. We'll draw on the title of that book to summarize the message of the psalm. So this morning, the Lord protects the faithful pilgrim's progress. First of all, from all things, and secondly, at all times. Psalm 121 is one of those psalms that stands out. It's like Psalm 23. It's a go-to psalm when people are traveling, we said, for example. We read, it for, we read it for comfort at someone's sickbed, after accidents, at funerals, in trials of many kinds. I lift up my eyes to the hills is how it starts. When this pilgrim sets out on his journey toward Jerusalem, he looks up to the hills. Maybe he or she is standing in the doorway of his house ready to set foot on the path to Jerusalem. The hills are off in the distance. Maybe they're already underway. Whatever the point on the journey, they have their eyes set on the way. Jerusalem was surrounded by hills. It gave a beautiful elevation, but also presented dangers. That's where criminals would hide, violent robbers to be encountered along the way. That's where the wild animals roam, lions and bears. But it wasn't only physical dangers, spiritual temptations too. That's where the altars were built to false gods in the high places. It may be tempting to trust these false gods for the journey, so to say. So to say, I lift my eyes to the hills, is to look on the journey ahead as filled with challenges. It's the story of the Christian life, isn't it? When Jesus came to earth, he said too, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. Following Christ can bring divisions into families, for one he was teaching. Beyond that, not once did he promise to his disciples, his followers, God's children, that the road would be easy. Creation itself is groaning, subject to futility. That alone means suffering. Sin brought death into the world, so that, as the form, as the form prayer in the form for infant baptism says, this life is no more than a constant death. That's not to ignore what joy we have in Christ, what hope and peace we have in him. It's the reality of a broken world. Life is full of trials and challenges, full of temptations and troubles. We grapple with great questions about the suffering that exists sometimes, accidents and sickness and death. And there are so many mixed messages coming to us, vying for our attention and trust offering their own explanations. Maybe, maybe no false gods on the sacred high places, but there are many other false gods. The so-called problem of evil turns people away from God. How can a good God send people to hell? Allow so much suffering, bring such devastation. Many places in the world today have untold suffering and economic disruption due to COVID-19. Then people say, better to just live for yourself, trust in your strength, your wealth, the people you surround yourself with. Life will be so much happier if. 
It can all present its challenges to the pilgrim's progress. Long and short of it is, it's a never-ceasing battle. Against our three sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our flesh. We've all been traveling on the path for different lengths of time, from different points of departure. But we can all say, I lift my eyes to the hills. What do the hills hold? Should we hide? We can echo the psalmist when he says, when he says sorry, we can echo the psalmist when he asks, from where does my help come? Help not just in the sense of simple assistance. Someone or something that comes alongside to give a boost. No, it's to provide what is lacking, to do what can't be done ourselves. From where does my help come? Who is going to provide through life's many challenges with the things I can't supply? Notice the psalmist asks that as an individual. From where does my help come? Is that just his particular question? Is that just his particular question? Sometimes it seems like life is smooth sailing for the one, and the other just gets piled high with struggles, one after the other, unequal distribution. And maybe there is more for one than the other. But there isn't anyone who can go through life without help. There's not one Christian pilgrim who can say, I've got this. We'll all have to say with the psalmist, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, that's first. We notice that he uses the covenant name of the Lord, Yahweh. He knows that he's in a relationship with this God. Then God isn't distant from him, just watching on the journey. No, God is near. My help comes from the Lord my covenant God. The psalmist could think about his circumcision, the sign and seal of his covenant with God. It ought to make us think back to our baptism as covenant children. There the Lord, the triune God, has made gracious promises to us after he claimed us as his own. We bear the sign as seal. We aren't aimless wanderers on this earth in search of some identity, some fulfillment. We're pilgrims, bearing a mark as covenant children, having received great promises. My help comes from the Lord. And this Lord is he who made heaven and earth. The intimate one, Yahweh, is also the infinite one, the creator of heaven and earth. And that means to include everything. The vast reaches of this universe were made by the God who is relationship in a relationship with me, the Lord. The Lord who made that relationship so real in his son, Jesus Christ. Christ died in our place so that through faith in him, we might be adopted as God's children. Even more richly than this psalmist, we know God as the Lord because of Christ. Christ who also journeyed through life, tempted and challenged, and challenged as we are, yet ever faithful to God, the God who is our help can sympathize with us in his son. This isn't just a psalmist's personal preference for help. He doesn't say, my help, as though someone else might say, that's nice, but my help is. Because this Lord is the same one who said, 
I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. There is only one real source of help on the pilgrim's journey. And that provides the pilgrim with much comfort to start the journey. And he'll share that reassurance with others. Notice that from from verse 2 to verse 3, there's a change in the way of speaking. First, it's I and my. And then suddenly, he will not let your foot be moved. This pilgrim isn't on his journey alone. First, he knows the Lord is near, but he's also walking with others. God surrounds us with family, friends, loved ones that we go through life with together. This pilgrim on his way to Jerusalem, as it were, turns to those around to share his own assurance. My help comes from the Lord. He will not let your foot be moved. When you go for a walk, you might have a destination in mind, or even in sight, but you still have to put one foot in front of the other to get there, step by step. Even then, as you watch your steps closely, they might slip. Walking through the mountains and hills and rough terrain can be treacherous. A hidden root, a jagged edge, loose shale. The Lord will not let your foot be moved. In fact, he watches constantly. He who keeps you will not slumber. This is the first of six times in the psalm that we find this word, keep. It's obviously critical to the message. The Lord is your keeper. It speaks of protection and care, of safety and security. God laid that comfort on his people every time they heard the high priestly blessing of number six, which we may hear in church Sunday by Sunday. The Lord bless you and keep you. That's his promise. The keepers of the gate or the walls of the city would work in rotation. They couldn't do the entire night watch alone. You get too sleepy. But the Lord who keeps us will not slumber. Sleep is a constant reminder of our weakness in a way. From the humblest and weakest of men and women to the most powerful and influential, sleep is the great equalizer. Even the president of the most powerful nation in the world has to become completely vulnerable in sleep. Not the Lord God. He never slumbers or sleeps. Remember, too, how Elijah mocked the prophets of Baal. Shout louder, he teased them. Maybe he's asleep. Not so the Lord. Well, that doesn't mean that God's people never struggle with understanding or realizing that. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 44, verse 23. Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. That's one of the beautiful elements of the psalms. They give expression to our real struggles. There in Psalm 44, the psalmist is really lamenting his distress. Then it's as though God has fallen asleep. Yet the psalmist in Psalm 121 knows that's not the case. Behold, verse 4 says for emphasis, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber or sleep. Do you ever wonder about this? It all sounds so encouraging and promising, doesn't it? But then there's life's real circumstances. Circumstances that give rise to real, 
tough questions. He will not let your foot be moved. What about that time when? Okay, maybe the Lord wasn't sleeping on the job, but how is my foot not moved to stick with the imagery? And we wrestle with that. Meditate on Christ on the road to Jerusalem. Maybe, or even likely, he sang this psalm too. He went up for the Passover, remember, even one last time with his disciples. I lift up my eyes to the hills, and he knew what challenges awaited him. Not thieves and robbers, not lions and bears, not the temptations of the high places to false gods. No, betrayal and crucifixion and God-forsakenness. The anguish and torment of hell. But he set his face toward Jerusalem and walked steadily on. His foot was not moved. Because he knew this was all part of his father's good purpose. Not his will, but the father's be done. And if the father's good purpose, his sovereign will, meant that his footsteps will be through the pain and punishment for sin, then he would walk on. He knew the joy that was set before him, so he endured the cross and despised its shame. Hebrews 12. Then says the author there too in Hebrews 12, we fix our eyes on Jesus. And when we have our eyes fixed on Jesus, then we know my foot will not be moved. In Christ, the pilgrim's progress is protected from all things. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Not tribulation, not distress, not persecution, not famine, not nakedness, not danger, not sword. Instead, God can and does use all these things to serve his purpose, to mold us and shape us, to make our steps firmer, to set our faces, too, more and more to the new Jerusalem. Yes, beloved, in Christ, the faithful pilgrim's progress is protected. This isn't a blanket promise for anyone and everything. It's for the faithful pilgrim who clings to Christ. When we choose to live our own life, go our own way, choose our own path forward, there's no guarantee of protection. Your word is a lamp to my feet. When that gets ignored, there's no promise of protection, and your foot will be moved. Then it's not that the Lord, then it's not that God the Lord sleeps, but he turns his face. He did that to his covenant-breaking people in the past, too. Then he punished them for their sin and disobedience. They would stumble and fall. Then as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper, we examine our steps. Is it our sincere desire to show true thankfulness to God with our entire life and to live with our neighbor in true love and unity, the form says? Then we go on in the assurance that the Lord protects us from all things and at all times. That's our second point. The Lord is your keeper, the psalm continues. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The journey to Jerusalem would pass at times through barren deserts, depending on which direction the pilgrim came from. Then the heat of the daytime sun could be dangerous. 
The next verse touches on that. The sun shall not strike you by day. The Lord provides welcome shade, refreshing shade. And that means he's constantly present. He is God with us. And the right hand is a symbol of strength, of action. That's not for the lefties to take offense at. It's just that the right hand is typically the dominant hand, 90% of people. So the psalmist talks about the Lord as the shade on our right hand. In whatever we do, in whatever we find to do, in service to the Lord, the faithful pilgrim enjoys the refreshing presence of the Lord. The Lord is our shelter, our shade, on the right hand as a source of power and strength in his very presence. Then the sun shall not strike by day or the moon by night. We understand the sun. There are a few hot days this summer too. There are a few hot days this summer here as well. We appreciate the power of the sun, and that's just here in Canada. It gets a lot hotter in other parts of the world, especially near to the equator. You need the shade. The sun strikes. The moon might seem out of place. What's so dangerous about the moon? The presence of the moon in the desert means clear skies, and that can mean bitterly, even dangerously, cold nights. But there is also the belief that the moon affects us psychologically. Think of the word lunatic. comes from the Latin word for moon. Whatever the dangers may be, by day or by night, the Lord's constant presence, a shade on our right hand, is a source of strength. That's why it was so comforting when Christ ascended into heaven that he said to his disciples and to his church, And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. He may have ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God, but he's still here. We get to hear more about that this afternoon. He is, after all, our, Emmanu- he is after all our Emmanuel, God with us. And he promised his spirit, the helper, the counselor, to be with us, even in us. The spirit of Christ is the guarantee of God's faithfulness to all his promises. In him, we are assured that God is present on our pilgrimage to the New Jerusalem at all times. Then the psalmist can say confidently, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The perspective of his hope and confidence grows wider and wider in space and time the longer he reflects. The Lord will keep you from all evil. But then again, we usually stop there and say, Really? How's that true? Didn't it happen sometimes that on these pilgrimages someone tripped and fell? Maybe even to his death on the cliffs? Were there never instances of someone stopping suddenly at the side of the path with a heart attack? Maybe even to die, leaving family behind? All those things happen today. But that's not the point of the psalm. Evil isn't just any bad thing that befalls even God's children. As was said earlier, the Bible never promises a life free of suffering. There's no assurance that there will be no trials. Even David, in Psalm 23... He knew that he might walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yet even there he knows, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The pilgrim on his journey knows that nothing ultimately evil will befall him. 
Nothing can separate him conclusively from God because good days and bad, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come not by chance but by God's fatherly hand as found in Lord's Day 10. And all things work together for my salvation, Lord's Day 1. That the Lord then keeps his children from evil is from his perspective. What we might view as evil, he intends for good, for the good of those who love him, called according to his purpose. That's in Romans 8, verse 28. That's why our baptism promise, he promises to provide us with all good and avert all evil, or turn it to our benefit. Then the pilgrim is sure of one more thing. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. That covers all of life. It's a comfort not just for the future, but it begins now, from this time forth and forevermore. How good, beloved, to hear our Savior confirm that in John 10, which we read, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Now that, now that is safekeeping. It's the doctrine of the preservation of the saints. It's what's so comfort, comfortingly written in Romans 8, which we'll sing later and was referenced earlier. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all good things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, as we pilgrimage to the New Jerusalem, the celestial city, we draw much strength from Psalm 121. We're travelers walking step by step and side by side in the protection of the Lord. And with each step of our pilgrim's progress, we come closer to our final glorious destination. And then, to know that status, no longer en route, but arrived. Amen.